Welcome, everybody, to episode 15 of the House of X Book Club. I'm your host, Rob, and I've got with me, well, I've got with me Shane. Hey there. Hello from one Millennium Falcon to another. That's right. Uh, Rowan. <laughs> Greetings. And, of course, Raj is here. Howdy, howdy. Piloting his own ship. And uh, Drew, of course. Oh. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my cabin. Yeah. So, so <laughs> Shane mentions the Millennium Falcon. It's because we are recording on Zoom, and uh, we thought it would be funny to honor Raj by using Millennium Falcon backgrounds because that's what he uh, that's what he has. Is is that the Millennium Falcon you're in there, Raj? Most definitely. I'm not sure which version though. Like I'm looking at uh, at Drew's, mm -hmm. and Drew's I think might be the Empire Strikes Back era version. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure. I think mine's just like the original version. I can't tell about Shane or yours. Yours is black and white, so I'm figuring that's from the original production. Yeah. Not yeah. that I not that I Probably. need to sound any more nerdy or anything than I normally do. <laughs> I, I think mine is just mirrored for some reason. Oh my god! You know, I think you're right, dude. It is because that weird red circley thing mm -hmm. is on your other shoulder than mine. Yeah, that's what it is. I don't know. You and thus, and thus is our Star Wars lesson concluded for this evening. <laughs> I can never do too many well, Star Wars lessons. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, everybody. Of course, uh, tonight we're going to cover X-Men number 25 and X-Men number 26. Before we do, so this is a two-part story arc. I just want to get a, a brief thumbs up or thumbs down from you guys. How did you feel about this story arc? About the story arc as a whole or just the first individual comic as, and as a whole a second okay yeah you liked it i did i liked the story arc yes yeah no i thought it was fun i i thought that it was something very different from what they've done before so mm -hmm. yeah how about you guys raj rowan yeah yeah no i i i did like it i i had a couple of little issues with it but overall i liked it i thought it was interesting because they're bringing in mythological characters from other cultures so it's got you know it's it's kind of a nice twist i i am gonna have some questions about cerebro and whatnot later that maybe you guys can i think well, I, I had questions, questions about a lot of this stuff uh, there was yeah. a lot of stuff in this book i was like well what the hell but yeah. overall, the story was great. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and get started with X-Men 25. The release date was August 2nd, 1966. The cover date is October of 66. Uh, for credits, we have writing Roy Thomas. Thankfully, he's here. Uh, we've got Werner Roth doing the pencils, Dick Ayers doing the inks, Sam Rosen doing the lettering, and of course, editing is Stan Man Lee. The title of this issue is The Power and the Pendant. So in this particular issue, we have a man by the name of El Tigre, and he is a, well, he's just a gem collector, apparently, but uh, he's decided that he wants this, this powerful gem, this powerful pendant, and with that pendant, he can become a god, right? He can have the power of Kuku Khan, who... Uh, well, people in the Marvel, people who watch the Marvel Cinematic Universe will now know as, unfortunately, uh, Namor the Submariner. <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, I think it's a yes. bit funny that they chose 
Yeah, that was an odd choice. But yeah. also for anyone who's never read these before and you see that it's LT Gray, there, uh, Kathleen Hanna is nowhere in this issue and it's not <laughs> La Tigre. <laughs> right. So in this issue, we've got some things. Now the X-Men are cruising around. They save some kids from a fire. I think they're coming back from visiting Jean at the college at the university, or dropping her off, or dropping her yeah, off, yeah, it, nah, dropping her off at the college, uh, and they they see a fire, so they save these these kids from the fire, and the kids are so happy to have the X Men rescue them, and they know they're the X Men, right? They're like, yeah, the X Men are here, they're saving us, and even the fire rescue people when they get there, they're like, oh, look at those X Men saving lives, that's awesome. That's because these, they're not from Ohio like that tourist in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> but see, and that's and that's but that's where my issue with some of the mm -hmm. writing in these books comes from yeah. is yeah. no one is going to stop in the middle of a burning building and go, Wow, I'm getting rescued by the X-Men. Not, not in the sixties, not in well, the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> if Angel swooped into my window tonight and grabbed me and flew off with me, I'd be like, What the hell? <laughs> you know. I would I say beg... two things. I'm on fire and I just shit my pants. <laughs> I beg to differ about the eighties because drugs. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. And, and magnetism. There, there also was no uh fugitive status or enemy of the state status That's or anything. What I wanted to get to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, these guys have have just threatened Washington. They threatened the nation. Okay, uh, they threatened. Right? They made off with a hundred million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> just kind right. of. And technically, they actually did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just kind so of they disappeared should, at some point in the story. They should still be on the the most wanted list, uh, you know. But at any rate, um, so Scott's thinking about leaving the X Men which I think would kind of be cool. Uh, <laughs> not that I don't like. Well, he did once before, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. he did. He, he went off and got married and had a baby. And well, we know how well that went. That's later. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but he didn't know, but he thought about, he's thought about everyone has had X-Men drama at some point, except yeah. for Iceman. Yeah. It's like, no, and... I, I dig the boots and I don't have to wear pants when we're out superheroing. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I don't think Jean Grey has yet either, has she? Uh, well, I mean, she did this whole, woe is me, I have to leave the X-Men forever. My parents are sending me off to school. That's true. Yeah. So, um, so El Tigre. Uh, is, we haven't yeah. brought up Ted. I hate oh. Ted. You hate Ted. We well, all do. Yeah. We, we yeah. did talk about Ted a little bit, didn't we? Wasn't he in Yeah, one of the previous episodes, I asked yeah. how uh -oh. long it had been before someone got the the creepy vibes off Ted. Oh, yeah. we did talk about Ted. Okay. Well, Ted's going to pop up and be, not that he's going to be more important, but he's definitely going to be in the uh, in the book more. So. Right. Um, El Tigre discovers a strange ornament with uh, with half of it missing. And to me, this is reminiscent of the plunderer's uh, little the you coin, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which kind of takes me back to you know rehashing plot elements. So it was it was that whole daredevil arc with Kazar and you know the two halves of the coin and right. So th this just kind of feels reminiscent of that, and mm -hmm. and and that book came out in December of '65. So, but but any rate, um. So yeah, the 
El Tigre is just a man. He's not a supervillain. He's a guy with a big hat, and and he's walking around New York City because he's got to go. Well, I think he's going to the Museum of Natural History or something to find this, you know, this pendant. Um, and somehow, him and two of his best pals turn out to just take the X-Men out. I mean, they, they take them down. They, I don't know. It, it kind of surprises me how easy the X-Men fall to these guys. And it's, you know, Roger, I think you were the one that brought up, like, they're playing with different pan, like a pantheon of gods, and they're dealing with, like, cult, different cultures and stuff like yeah. that. I, yeah. I, I have to say that I feel like this is a bunch of white guys writing stuff they don't know about. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. But it's nice to see like a different approach though. Mm-hmm. Although, although some of the clothing and whatnot does kind of border on the stereotype, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're wearing sombreros, you know, it's through, New York through the jungle. Yeah. Um, well, the one, the El Tigre kind of looks like a matador or something. No, that's his buddy, but El Tigre himself is wearing like a purple shirt and pants he almost looks like a western gunfighter but in purple uh no he's just a gem collector <laughs> you don't know what he does on the kind side of, kind of while we're, we're talking about you know this it made me think of it and and one of the things that people love to bring up about marvel is about how it's set in real world places like mm-hmm. right. new york or chicago or you know pick a place but, the blue area of the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then again, like you have anywhere outside of the United States is just always made up. Like mm-hmm. they're in yeah. San Re- they're in San Rico, they're in Wakanda, they're you know they're anywhere. Marco, yeah, yeah. They don't they don't do any research outside of what they know in New York City. And so I I've always kind of thought that that argument for oh Marvel's better because it, it, they're in real places, it doesn't hold up for me. Hmm. Okay. So, well, but of... that's that's kind of BS anyway, because Gotham is clearly New York. Gotham is just modeled on New York, and so Gotham is, is the nickname though. for New York. Yeah. Well, of course, Metropolis literally just means like a big city, modern city. Right, but it was supposed to be New York. <laughs> yeah. No, not, I get it. Not Chicago. <clears throat> well, I think yeah. it's funny that they're not doing anything on the West Coast, though. Mm, yeah. yeah well west coast avengers aren't here yet not yet because it's, it's too boring yeah <laughs> west and coast, they didn't best last coast, everybody west coast avengers <laughs> didn't last did they <laughs> no um so of course this sacred gem that el tigre is looking for uh is supposed to be cursed but he needs both halves to become the god that he wants to become right um, what else do we have going on here? Well, Xavier is still using his mechanical legs, which I found to be really cool. I was so happy to see that in this book. I think one of the things that I probably should bring up is the racism in this. I, I did, it's not like blatant racism that Stan, or not Stan, excuse me, that Roy Thomas is kicking out, but it's that whole stereotype that you mentioned. Um, oh, an Angel, when he's fighting, against el tigre's guys he he there's a here's a quote from angel 
I'll make them wish they'd never left the jumping bean farm. And when I read that, it like, it blew my mind. Right. That was some bullshit. Blew my mind. Um, and I think in my it, head, I went on a whole tangent. I was like, jumping bean. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Oh, isn't that just like a, a bean with a bug in it or something? And I, I went on this whole Google rabbit hole about like jumping beans because I remember them as toys when I was a kid. Yeah. 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 But, but it, it's again, it's that stereotype that, you know, anything outside of New York is completely foreign and completely other. Um, which one of the things that surprises me about this is that. These books, they wanted to um, kind of highlight and they wanted to represent places in the world that sold that these books sold in, okay? Um, and certainly all throughout Latin America, Mexico, and, and even, I, I don't know, I, all the continents. I mean, they were talking, I, I read something that said that Marvel was selling on almost every single continent, you know? Um, so people in other parts of the world were reading the X-Men and I wonder about how they feel about the stereotype of, of, you know, their people. And maybe this is why they make those places up because obviously there's no San Rico. So we're not talking about anybody that reads our book. (laughs) Well, that's, that is, you know, a valid point, but also, uh, at some point in this issue, one of the minions says that he's from Argentina. I actually didn't mention how I felt about this issue, but I really did like it. Um, and I, I didn't care for, you know, already what I've mentioned, the, the kind of, I, I don't know exactly how to paint it other than racism, you know, it's right. It's, it, it, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the harshest thing right, right. To, to say, but it's, it, it's kind of a low blow to use racist disdain. Right, that that the that an X man would resort to to racist expression of disdain, yeah. right? Um, that's that's what it. Why well, it was like what? You yeah. know, you would want you'd want an X man to be better than that. That's what I that's, did love about this book, this issue, is that it was something so different. El Tigre and his goons were like unlike anything the X Men had fought before. I mean, and they fought all kinds of supervillains. These are just a, a bunch of guys who are good at their thing. Like his his minions, you know, El Tigre was good at something. I don't remember what that was, but he had a guy that was good at the blow dart. He had a guy that was good at the at the whip or the lasso or whatever. You know, everybody was good at something, and so they were their their own little their own little team in there, and they were. But was El Tigre good at anything other than instilling fear in his two minions? No, I don't think so. I think that was pretty much. Pretty I much think it. it was, which yeah, is very, it, you know, that's 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 their formula. Yeah. They, the, the leader instills fear, and that's all they need to do, for for these early Marvel books. Mm-hmm. Shane, you've been awfully yes. quiet. What do you? Think well, here? I mean, I just let everybody get a chance to get in there. I mean, there was, I I like I said, I like the story overall, but like you said, that it was really repetitive. Um, but like the, the power up I thought was really cool. First of all, where, um, El Tigre kind of, when he developed the power Mm -hmm. and he was working with the shady dudes who he knew didn't like him and Mm -hmm. 
he was like, I gotta work with these guys. And so it was it was really entertaining to see him kind of and because I feel like that was the first time where the leader knew that his his um minions were assholes. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And they're like they're gonna they're gonna stab me in the back the first chance they get. Well, this so, is why he does what he can to instill fear in them, right? I mean, Magneto did the same thing. Magneto didn't trust the people that worked with him, which is why he had to he had to like be as mean and terrible to them as he could. Because yeah. you know that if he had the chance, Mastermind would get over on Magneto in a heartbeat. Yep. The one but thing you're right. That I- yeah, the one thing that I that, that 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 bugged me that was irritating, and this was these said you can you might not have put this on your crimes of X Men list, but um, so it's it early on in the book, um, uh, Professor X is using his new um his magic legs, Lieutenant Dan, to come mm-hmm. down the stairs, and he falls, and the tentacles come out of the wall and catch him. Yeah, the stupid tentacles. And he's like, "Yeah, those (laughs) those are there in case I fall down the stairs. I can activate them because fuck everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else falls down the stairs, they're screwed. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And this like this one, I feel like was there was such a casual mention of Cerebro." where all the other issues before it was like don't let the beast and angel know about cerebro and now it's like oh yeah we're gonna go look at cerebro and check out for mutants that aren't mutants again didn't that whole thing kind of get blown open when juggernaut attacked them and the thing was screaming super loud anyway yes yeah maybe they they brought it up in 24, too. There was a Cerebro disclosure yeah. in 24, and now it's like Cerebro just gets brought up. Well, then, yeah, because he's got, like, the portable version that he's right. driving around with. In yeah. all the vehicles that he has. Yeah. Yeah, I think... The, it they bothers need, me, too. He needs to put it in his magic legs. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, again... He it, can it, kick it, mutants. It, it detects non-mutants, um, which... That's, that's where I was going to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, none no, but, of these... well, it, it always has. I mean, the juggernaut, and you know, it's uh, yeah, because yeah, juggernaut's Warren, coming. Warren asks, "Is it another mutant, sir?" And Professor X replies, "We can't be sure yet, Warren. Cerebro sometimes reacts to conditions which are quite similar to mutation." Oh, there you go, Drew. Since when? <laughs> yeah, since when? Since when we yeah. need it in a plot? Yeah, that's right. It's it's all about the plot. Um, do you guys recall that battle with the locust? Did he did Cerebro make mention of the locust? I don't believe Cerebro was in that issue. No, okay. that was just them they went to investigate post Oh, you read it in the newspaper or something? Oh, as he does, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also I found that uh, it was a bold move to to wear um, sombreros and and ponchos into New York, yeah. But um, I one one thing I couldn't help notice is that the the evil guy used his new mind control power to get a ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, hold on, no. hold on. Thought, 
Hold on. If you had this ability in New York to ha- to hail a taxi, you can't tell me you wouldn't use it. I have an you answer. You know damn well you would. I you know damn well that. you would. I, I right. would, but I would also be a supervillain. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the way that he actually got the ride from the cab was pretty clever, though. I will I will give him credit for that because he didn't he didn't flag down the cab. He didn't manipulate the cab driver. He made the passenger think, oh, this this is where I want to get out. Stop mm-hmm. here, cabbie. And so the cabbie stopped the cab right in front of him. And they're like, oh, well, this cab's free. Let's get into it. As, and they, as far as the driver was concerned. Yeah, the he, was lo- he was way smoother about it than Professor X was. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The L, L. Tigre's defense, he actually did try to flag the, ta- the taxi down normally. He didn't see it in the distance and go, I'm going to mind control this guy to give me a ride. Yeah. But, you know, right. he... <laughs> so it makes me wonder. Makes me wonder. And and um, the cool thing is, I don't think he had the flashy thing like anybody. Right. No <laughs> one had to forget who he was. No, no one forgot them, their name and pissed themselves. So we're good. Well, one of the things that I wanted to mention was that, yeah, exactly, that LT grade uses his powers much like Xavier, aka to get yeah. rides. Um, but back to Xavier's like special, his magic legs. Um, I guess we'll find out if, you know, we, we know that throughout time, Xavier has that, has a wheelchair of some sort, like in the nineties, he's got a hover chair, but it seems to me that he would be using these legs a lot more because he's pretty damn mobile and he would be of use in the field. Don't you think that he would be, really helpful i mean coming yeah. up against these guys i so, don't think so because he can use his power from a great distance away he doesn't need to be in the field he can astral project yeah he's also still in the closet mm-hmm. yeah yeah so he can't be in the field yeah and also to you know not not to defend professor x but he just invented these legs last issue <laughs> yeah okay yeah he hasn't right. worn them in yet yeah well, the power source fails uh, right here. So uh, hopefully we get to see them again. But in this particular issue, it's not the case. Well, keep in mind the battery technology in like 1965. It was probably like 18 D-cell batteries just to run that thing for five minutes. <laughs> he, was, right. he was compensating. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> so, so I read this issue. <clears throat> And it's a cool, it's a cool two or uh, two issue arc. You know, El Tigre starts out with him and a couple buddies. They're just normal guys looking for this rock or this pendant, and they get it and they put it together, and he becomes the god that he wants to be. He's got a, unlimited powers, it seems like, mm-hmm. and that's where the issue ends. Um, so you know that next issue he's going to be so badass, and he's already got the X Men on the ropes. He's he's going to take over the world, right? He he could do it too. Um, but I read this and I liked the progression, the progression of like him being just a normal dick who's being, you know, who's got a couple minions to now he's a god and he's going to ish. Yeah, a god ish. Um, you know, and so the thought as we end that issue is who's going to stop it? How are they actually going to stop that guy? So the one kinda, thing that, got yeah. me a little worried in the towards the end of this issue though was when he went from LT Grey to Kukulkan was that he turned yellow 
And I mm. thought this, I was like, oh, is this the start of where all of the minority bad guys are yellow in Marvel comics? But they did say specifically that he was gold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is the beginning of the next issue. So it kind of took away from, because I don't know if any of you guys ever saw it, but like, especially it was mainly in like the um, Shang-Chi book mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that all of the bad guys would be yellow, like yellow, the same color of yellow as Kukul cool, cool Khan. Well, he, his, uh, his main super villain, his main, main nemesis, I think was the yellow claw uh, was his name. Yeah. And, and that, came about in i want to say in the 40s maybe even earlier than that so um but they also who did they did was like one of the bad guys was like fu manchu or something like that or and then then the mandarin and they were all yellow and so it was racist and fetishizing the exotic and some yeah yeah it it really it came around it came around uh world war ii i mean that's right you know that stuff came right came about around that time but yeah, when I saw it in here, I was like, Gah. but then they, it, it just, I think it was just, a, a, in this instance, it was a lack of the ability to create a gold color in the book. Yeah. Yeah. But with those powers, he put together a really spiffy outfit, didn't he? That's dope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he really is the most, like it, looking at the last panel of the issue, he is the most flamboyantly dressed villain to date it, yes. not maybe not just villain but character like that's mm-hmm. a great until, costume until until we meet the flamingo <laughs> <laughs> yeah no he definitely takes the the rupaul's drag race crown from uh namor from back earlier yeah yeah well so i read this issue back like cover to cover including the ads and including the letters page um, there was an ad in there, by the way, for Marvel superheroes on television because the Marvel superheroes were becoming cartoons. And uh, so that was cool. That was something that I hadn't seen before. Um, and I might have mentioned this to you guys off recording, but the letter col- letters column in this particular issue has a young future artist writing to declare X-Men 22 one of the best books ever. And uh, X-Men 22, uh, well, what I think is great is that, the first of all, the writer is Carlos Pacheco, who, in my mind, is one of the, one of the coolest artists uh, that has, you know, that the modern X-Men have seen. Did, do you remember his work, Rod, Shane? Yeah, yeah, I, no, he was... I don't offhand. Oh, okay. He was, I'm gonna look I, him up. It so. was it was really it was fairly recent. It's kind of cool to see to see him in the letters column, you know. And if if we had all the letters column, we'd notice that there are writers and artists and editors of the future popping up in the '60s saying, "We love this book." Any other words on issue 25 before we move on to the 26? I I had. You know, I, I take notes as I'm reading these things, and I only sure. had one note for this entire issue, and I would like to read it to you guys because I think it very much sums up how I feel about this book. Okay. I wrote, nothing really stood out to me in this book one way or another. Unlike previous issues where they completely fleshed out the villain, this one felt very cookie cutter to me. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't good. It also felt like the art was very flat this issue and nothing flowed dynamically at all. Oh. 
and Interesting. I, I, I really, I, I do think that because it went from panel to panel, the art wise, or the art did, but it was like stills from a movie. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it nothing really flowed. You were just going from one, one scene to the next. Huh. And and to me, El Tigre in this issue felt very much like a, and I think we said it previously, but he felt like a, a depowered Magneto to me. Well, I will say that I, I think there um, you have something there because the main big bad guy type villains are all pretty much the same cookie cutter mold. I mean, that could be Magneto saying the things that he's saying. He's talking about himself in the third person. You know, mm. how dare you speak to El Tigre this way? Mm. Like, dude, come on. You're you're talking about yourself like you're not there. Weird. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's it would be nice to see a little more personality. Well, what and one of the things that I wrote story-wise was um, is the whole X-Men getting beat up one at a time really gonna happen every issue? <laughs> right. That yeah. that well, you know what they're doing the cookie that. cutter thing for me. Yeah. You, they're but they're doing that to show that they're stronger as a team yeah. rather no, than individually. But I but mean, they they're kind of beating us over the head with it. Well, telling it the same way over and over. I hate to tell you guys this, but that's comics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like it, jump off the train now, because that's where we... <laughs> <laughs> the other The other thing I wrote had, didn't have anything to do with the actual story itself. I just said, Stan Lee really made sure he was all over the first page of this book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Explain, explain that for me. Go ahead. And, okay. And... Well, so first of all, all of you could really tell that everything outside of the story uh -huh. um, started was all all of the all of the boxes, all of the was all editor's notes. It was everything mm. was all Stan Lee talking about stuff that he wanted to point out in the issue, and not only that, and then even when it comes to the the credits he put an arrow going to the credits who says this isn't the marvel age of concise credits and the arrow is pointing at his name those editor boxes kind of bug me they always have because they kind of take me out of the story right i agree so it's a well, way of breaking the fourth wall i don't like it and there's like they don't they don't do those in the current books though it's all so there's well, like a because he's dead, dude. Well, <laughs> I realized that. Coming Boiler. to you from beyond the grave, Stanley. No, but like the, yeah, I don't like then this in like this era where Stan Lee gets top billing for be the edit, being the editor. Um, yeah. But the, in the, in the current books, there's like a recap page that typically will tell you what's been happening the last few issues. And then that usually has the credits. Or who did what as well to go on what raj said about the box taking you out of the action the the little editorial box in one way i kind of miss those i mean they don't do them and they haven't done them for i don't know what the last 20 20 years or so maybe not that long but about that i think i kind of miss them because well we don't need them now because we've got freaking google so <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we can actually look up to see what you know who did what last issue. But I just I just remember the box saying, "You might remember da 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 da, seventeen issues ago." You know, and I'm like, "Oh, cool." I mean, that makes me want to go back and buy that issue that's from seventeen issues ago. 
So when so did Iceman I, I, say he liked Eggs Benedict the first time? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I kind of dug those for a while, and I, I and I missed them. Now there was also an, a, a time where I noticed that they stopped using thought bubbles. Um, I'm trying to think now if they've gotten back into thought bubbles recently. But, yeah, I, I think I think I've still seen those. Yeah, but there was a time where nobody had thought bubbles. It was all all word bubbles and nothing else. Um, so it's I think it's just a trend in you know in the style. So it's interesting to see. Who knows? Ed, editorial boxes might come back, but never with the flair that Stan Lee put into them. That's for sure. <laughs> Mm, thought bubbles i think i know why i have another note here about ted and why it says i hate ted i hate ted i hate ted because i oh, have underneath on, hold on. it hold what? on a second you do hate ted right oh right, right. Yes. <laughs> just a little bit just okay. a little bit because sure. underneath it i have a note that i hate how gene is written with ted and i think that ted is a, an example of how there's weakness in gene and how gene is written it's, there she's not the strongest character in as far as the writing goes and it yeah. some of the examples of that are shown when they place her with ted and this oh. issue is one of these times where you see it where you're like oh please now do you remember how that is i agree with that completely but i gotta say at least they're showing her a little bit on her own and giving her a little bit of character development mm -hmm. right yeah it's, yeah it's a trope it's stereotypical whatever but still and, and I'm sure some of this is hailing back to romance comics and, mm. yeah, and totally. stuff like that. So Ted is back. Well, Ted is back. Ted is in this issue because he's at school with Jean. And Jean is now, we're seeing her as a student. And this is how she's, this is how she's going to be portrayed for a while. She's, you know, it's funny that she's had to leave the X-Men forever, but she's still in every issue. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so... All right. Well, shall we move on to number 26? Hold on. I have something to add. Yes, please. <clears throat> if we ever do have like a merch of our own, we need a t-shirt that says better dead than Ted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, consider it done. <laughs> consider it done. That's hilarious, Raj. Thank you. <laughs> I'd All right. Well, so X-Men number 26, released in September, September 1st of 1966, written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Werner Roth, inked by Dick Ayers, Sam Rosen did the letters, and of course, Dan Lee, the editor. Uh, this title is Holocaust. And my first thing is, wait, there wasn't a Holocaust. Why did they call it this? But... Was that the best choice for a title? Like, the, the, so far, so... World War II wasn't that long ago, kids. <laughs> um, so years. I heard, I had heard someplace, and now I wasn't alive in 1966, so I don't know this, but um, somebody had made a comment that the word Holocaust wasn't heavily used for that uh, in 1966. Like, of course, it had happened and it wasn't that long ago, but Holocaust wasn't the word that they associated with it very heavily at the time. That was something we attributed to it later. So that might be the case. At the same time, I'm still thinking there was no damn Holocaust. <laughs> you know, it was they the threat of one. Yeah, they could have called it, uh, you know, El Tigre, flashy things, a whole bunch of people. That could have been. So, Rob, are you saying that you don't think the Holocaust happened? 
Not in this issue, Just Shane. The yeah. blankest, the blankest stare from Rob you could possibly get. <laughs> Mm. But I, right off the bat with this one, I just have to say and point out that Stan Lee gave himself a no prize on the first page. Fuck that yeah. guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, that is hysterical. And yeah, look at the I cover. Know. Art. I know the oh, Holocaust yeah. happened, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> I like the cover art. It's dynamic. Uh-huh. There's shit happening. You can see the angel is being carried by Cyclops. The beast is doing whatever the hell he's doing. What is he doing? Uh, he's cowering in fear, I guess. I don't know. But I mean, it's <laughs> dynamic. There's like flames in the background yeah. and El Tigre is being threatening. There. Professor X is doing the whole mind mental thing. He's constipated. No, the art and the art throughout the book is pretty damn good. I I like it. I think the art in this is a little more dynamic than the art in the last one. Drew mentioned the panel to panel. This has a little better flow, I think, to it. And I don't know why that is. It's the same exact team. I don't know. Maybe Stan finally said, look, I got to edit this crap. Well, at the beginning of the at the beginning of this episode, you asked us how we felt about the arc as a whole. Mm-hmm. And and I, I had, you know, I asked, you know, if the arc or the individual issues. I did I did not like 25. I thought 25 was kind of a boring book. But yeah. 26 really brought the whole arc together for me. This mm-hmm. it, it made up for 2025. 20, for sure. Very cool. Well, so in this issue, of course, uh, El Tigre is no longer El Tigre. He is Fukul Khan. He's gone the, forever. Yeah, the feathered serpent god, right. And he uses his powers, which kind of seem limitless, right? Yeah. Um, he uses his powers to basically call everyone who's descended from Mayan, the Mayan people, to, to come do his bidding. And no matter where they are, they're like, yep, okay, we'll be there. Um, which. Yeah, I didn't. It, yeah, that didn't sit well with me. I, that felt kind of gross. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was a little odd too, because it's like, all right, well, let's go there and farm. Well, he's trying to bring his people home, is what he's trying to do. He's trying to like create uh, a place for them. I mean, they have their own places, but, you know, he's like, trying to create his own you know his own realm and of course somebody's going to need to farm (laughs) yeah so at the beginning of this issue they started off in new york still because they had just finished up their fight in the Mm -hmm. in the museum and then kukulkan creates this amazingly awesome sphere out of sun energy and just flies off and lands in the jungle but that sphere that thing was so awesome. He does like yeah. some weird Power Rangers move, and all of a sudden he's just got this flying solar comet yeah. that just goes into Mesoamerica. It's awesome. It's one of the notes that I had was that Kukul Khan has a killer solar ball to ride in. I think so. it's um, like a giant hamster ball. It's great. Yeah, yeah, made out of sun energy. <laughs> I, said, um, I said Mesoamerica. That is not the right word. <laughs> Central America. <laughs> So my so so my question here is about El Tigre. Um, is he any worse than Indiana Jones? I mean, besides being a big jerk to his people and and you know always having to throw the fear around. I mean, aren't they both just guys who go and steal? No, <laughs> steal treasure? No, because as Indiana Jones says, 
it belongs in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> well, Indiana Jones does take stuff, but he doesn't try to rule the world or kill people with it or well or anything. I, I said El Tigre. I didn't say Kukul Khan because he's trying to rule the world for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well even well even El Tigre was trying to do that. Mm -hmm. And we don't Indiana have to Jones dig into the of semantics people. of it, but when you're played by Harrison Ford, oh. Indiana Jones gets away with a lot. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Gets a gets away with a Kevin Spacey level of nonsense that shouldn't be allowed right well so while i was reading this issue now of course of course the x-men have to like figure out how to stop el tigre because he's you know mind controlling i don't even know if he's mind controlling people but he's yeah i don't know i, I don't know he's horning in on professor x's racket yeah and he yeah. just so can't like, allow that we gotta stop this guy you know he's he's clearing the brush from ancient uh, temples and he's making the temples beautiful and he's utilizing them and they, they just can't have that so <laughs> <laughs> so but they're, um, but they're enslaved yeah. the people are enslaved by the very by virtue of their bloodline I right it, oh. My people are going to be free, so I'm going to make them slaves. It's a, it's problematic for sure. That's that. Now you sound like one of the founding fathers. <laughs> <laughs> so, reading this issue, I it gave me a lot. Like I ended up having more questions about the last issue by reading this one. You know, the X Men were defeated the last issue by regular humans. Okay. I, I wanted to know what happened to all that danger room training. You know, they trained so hard and so long, and they get taken out so quickly and so easily. Um, also, Marvel Girl wasn't there because she would have saved them all. Yeah, she probably. Would've. You know, um, and so also in this issue, because we go back and forth to you know Marvel Girl at school. Um, we see her with Ted, and Ted's talking to another new guy who just transferred from another school, and his name is Calvin Rankin, a.k.a. The Mimic, who, if you remember, has been flashy thing by Professor X, doesn't remember shit about what happened issues ago. But Jean knows him, and she's like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, it's Cal. Oh, boy. Hi. And she has to play it cool, like she doesn't know the guy. Right. It, it, the professor basically puts her in that position by having mind wiped him. But now she basically takes part in the ruse, right? By being like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't know you. Because, you know, he, because Calvin feels like they've met before. Yeah. And it's it's also gross. I mean, this is good. This is good storyline stuff, but it is certainly a crime of Xavier. It is an ethical question. I think it's an unethical to be to to be like, I don't know you to someone that you know. Yeah, but it's awkward. What is someone supposed to say in a situation like that, right? Wait, it it, it is awkward. I mean, it's it's a quite a burden on her because she knows exactly what they went through. She knows mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that. Perhaps an important part of Calvin's life has been erased. 
And I and I don't mean the whole meeting the X Men and you know fighting Xavier right. or fighting the X Men, but I mean the memories of what his dad was trying to do. All that's got to be gone so that he you know so that he yeah. doesn't go back to the mansion. Mm-hmm. So well, n- not only not only that, but I as someone who deals with Professor X on a daily basis, don't you have to wonder when you see Calvin? And he doesn't remember who you are, or you run into the blob and he didn't remember who you were and then remembered and came and attacked because he remembered. Yeah. Like, don't you don't they don't they wonder about, wow, is this happening to me too? Is that right. why we all think that our dads worked at the nuclear factory? And <laughs> <laughs> oh, awkward, awkward. <laughs> I mean, do the, do the just none of them have those kind of thoughts where it's like, oh yeah, we've seen, we've seen Professor Xavier mind wipe half the planet, um, for a ride to the grocery store, and is he doing that every time I tell him, to, why, why are you in my underpants drawer again, Professor X? <laughs> I I have a potential in-universe solution to that particular issue. Uh-huh. When they uh, got enrolled slash initiated in Professor X's school, perhaps he put like a mind seed thought, like he manipulated their mind into just unwavering loyalty so that they never have that thought. And then he can just freely go and mind wipe them whenever they want. And that's why they never think about it, because he's already controlled their mind to not think about it. (laughs) Don't know if that's true, but it makes sense. Wow. Well, in this issue, the X-Men do kind of get back together. They escape the museum. You know, they knock out his uh, Kukulkan's minions and they escape and they re re kind of reconvene. And even Gene shows back up at the mansion and they decide they have to go to San Rico to stop him. Right. San Rico. That's the name of the place. Um, they fly their killer X-Jet. And Kukulkan, of course, is still swinging around in his big solar orb but yeah he cleans up the place he kind of sits on this big throne and and he looks you know like you expect a a feathered serpent god to look i guess and he does Um, in the process he uncovers this really cool awesome huge statue of a serpent god with giant gem on top that's pretty freaking cool it is pretty freaking cool um, I think one of the issues, Rowan and I talked about this, and again, one of the issues that we had, or at least I had with this, is the, you know, there's a, a bit where people are coming to the temple after Khan has called them, and you got, like, these guys with, with like, mules packed with stuff, you know, and it's this whole kind of humble, like, I mean, these guys look like the 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 guy on the coffee can you know the the one Valdez uh, what is that Columbia Roast coffee it's like yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it's a stereo people it's in South stereotype. America don't drive cars they all use pack mules to yeah well even the police because there were police that he got to come and yeah and they show the police marching with swords it's 1966 you know <laughs> now they do show them show police later with guns but these are guys that look like they're dressed in the you know from the 1800s uh but anyway really it, i don't know one of my issues with this one was the fact that they had time to go and rent a villa 
before going to fight Kukul Khan. Because he was like, yeah, you know, we need to get down there, but we need a base of operations so Professor X can sit by the river and read his newspaper. <laughs> I don't know how I didn't notice that, but you're 100% yep. right. Well, one of the things I found fun in this was they all get into a kayak and they yeah. uh, head down the river. <laughs> And then when a jaguar jumps out and attacks them, they're like, is it a mute? The jaguar attacks, of course, Iceman has to like whip together like some kind of ice fork or something to like hold it back. And and then the dual you know. pronged pitchfork, just like Hades had. Yeah, as you would, you know, but uh, of course the jaguar is easily dispatched. It's just about, you know, they need to throw a little extra fun in there and then they realize that the the boat is sinking, and and then next thing you know, they're jumping across the the uh, the snouts of alligators that are in the water, uh, <laughs> like like Frogger or something, you know, just kind of bouncing across from one side of the river to the other. <laughs> this one, uh, yeah, it, it just it, it does. I, I do have to say, it does take an odd turn after the alligator. Then he he slides down the boa constrictor. Oh yeah, he can't tell the difference <laughs> between a snake and a vine. Yep. Yeah. And then they fall into another hole. That's like this is like the seventeenth or eighteenth time out of twenty six issues now that they've fallen into a hole. Apparently, depth is the X Men's mortal enemy. Yeah. <laughs> no depth perception. <laughs> they did work together and get out of that particular pitfall very cleverly. I thought, though. Oh so yeah. I, they uh, the the natives because they're dressed like natives like loincloths and spears it's oh very, my god that's right yeah very stereotypical but so they're they have a net over the top of the pitfall and they're trying to jab spears through the net to you know skewer the x-men and iceman creates a dome over the top of the x-men and be you know so that the spears can't get them and then cyclops burrows through the pitfall and up with his with his eye beam and that's just they didn't really talk about it. They just did it, which is kind of a first for this team. They hmm. usually have to discuss their teamwork before they do it. And this is really the first time, at least that I noticed, that they work together as a team without actually communicating. They just Synergy. do it. <laughs> These guys are all synchronized with each other now. Yeah. They're, they're working together without even talking about it. Um, of course, they... You know, somebody grabs the other end of the net and they fold the the spear poking people into the net and drop them in the hole. Which yeah, actually that 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 was pretty cool. I mean, if it weren't for the fact that they were loincloth wearing, you know, never before seen white people kind of natives, this is it's just a weird stereotype that they use. But, but I guess it was to show that they were deep in the jungle, right? Could be. They were someplace where civilization had never touched. That's right. <laughs> but then they immediately come up, come across an armed police officer. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. Like armed with a rifle, not armed oh. with those swords we were talking about. Yeah, because he came from Brooklyn. <laughs> um, <laughs> he answered the call. So do you recall what the uh, big snake totem did? That, thing that like power that was the that drew in the sun power to right. power his um his cookie shaped pendant yeah giant solar battery for his powers so they they realized that this thing uh, with the giant crystal on top again with the giant crystal we kind of dealt with that during the sentinel issue yep um 
is kind of focusing his, you know, giving him his power. So immediately they decide they're going to go up and, you know, knock this thing over. Before I read the text surrounding what happens with the the, the snake crystal, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's really cool. Bobby put a bunch of ice on the top and made it top heavy and it's going to fall over. And he's like, okay. no. Cool, cool con caused an earthquake that hit a secret fault that was underneath it. I was like, God <laughs> damn it. You had a cool, cool idea and you ruined it. They had to make it look like, is it cursed? Is it cursed? Uh, a lot of fighting going on, of course. Uh, Kugel Khan is trying to shoot Bobby while he's up on top of that, and his powers are starting to waver. Um, it looks like a Cialis ad. A, a Cialis <laughs> ad? <laughs> yep. Sorry, Kugel Khan. <laughs> Are your sun powers not able to keep going as long as they used to? <laughs> uh, well, of course, Kukulkan does himself in with that earthquake. Thing collapses, as you mentioned, and uh, everybody's like, oh, crap, we got to get out of here. And something happens. One of the X-Men is, looks like one of the X-Men is gravely hurt. Cyclops uh, shot down Angel. So he shoots Angel, and it's accidentally. I mean, doesn't it look accidental? Is it? Um, (laughs) That's that's the whole thing. And we haven't discussed this yet, but in this issue, it's really the start of the, like, the official start of the love triangle between Angel and Cyclops and Jean. Yeah, but it it did feel like an accident to me. It was a misfire, and he gets hit, and then... and. You know, Angel's like, shot, Scott shot me on purpose because he loves Gene. What a mm-hmm. bitch. Yeah, he actually yeah. says that to the rest yeah. of the X-Men. Yeah. I just wish that Scott would have, like, panic-kissed Iceman or something. <laughs> I don't like Gene! <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm looking at the cover of number 27. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Do you want to tell us why? No, no you don't uh, want I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nah. nah. <laughs> well, of course they do. Uh, they do defeat Kuku Khan. He goes back to his normal self, uh, El Tigre. Uh, I mean, that's all we know of his name, right? But he's wearing his standard long sleeve button up purple shirt. Yeah. Which means that if the outfit is gone. All because Big Snake Totem fell in a crater that he accidentally created. Do but the they... X-Men ever do anything? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if they just left well enough alone, these bad guys would take themselves down. <laughs> well, uh, that's another parallel with Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> One thing about the ending of this book, which I don't know if we've seen before, but I know we've talked about it not happening, is... They actually arrest this dude. They tie him up and bring him with them. They don't yeah, just like, let first. him go. Yeah, he doesn't just yeah. wander off into the countryside to think about and promise not to do it again. Yeah. Not to do it again or turn <laughs> themselves in, which never holds. I mean, how many bad guys have they said, no, "Don't do this again," and they're like, "Okay," and they walk okay. off. Next thing you know, they're attacking the X Men <laughs> or turning to a life of professional wrestling. I think <laughs> with the with the next issue, it'll be at least three. I, I like the story arc. 
I thought it was yeah, fun. I the second book, great. second book was my favorite. Um, this again, I'm just going to point out that I mean, I love Roy Thomas's writing, and he only gets better in my mind. He gets better with age. I'm a huge fan of his Conan stuff, um, but but I like him a lot. And this once again, this is an era that many people have said is not worth reading, which kind of I have to disagree. I think it's all worth reading. It may not be your favorite, but I think there's something in it that needs to be that needs to be looked at, whether it's something that makes you go, is this cool or is it uncool? You know, it's I still think it's worth looking at. I still think it's worth talking about and and uh well, yeah, I'm glad think, I'm glad you read it. I think maybe what and maybe what we should do as we go along is is try to keep think about and keep track of is it is it that they're saying it's not worth reading because the the story arcs don't progress the characters any or nothing moves forward and it's just kind of stagnant with this monster of the week for the next 40 issues and it's yeah. kind of the same story over and over or yeah. is or is it is it because the writing's not good because if it if they're saying it because there's no progression then that that's a valid complaint. Oh sure, um, sure makes great sense. I mean, uh, also part of the books, some of the books that are in that clump of don't read this is stuff that that like later on when Neil Adams is drawing, which is beautiful work, you know, yeah. beautiful artwork. Um, I can't imagine thinking that's not worth opening up. It's just gorgeous. And we've also got like the the first appearances of many important iconic characters. Um, you know, I think one character that pops up pretty soon is Candy Southern um, within, I think, maybe the next issue or two. And she's not a mutant. She's a normal girl, but she becomes a very, uh, a very important character when that love triangle is concerned. You know, she, she kind of helps get angel on a path to like to going on and doing his own thing but uh she's a character that shows up for the rest of rest of time so so a lot of important characters are going to be popping up i mean we will be reading a comic we will be reading an issue soon that has spider-man in it do they think he's a mutant too spider-man i would imagine because yeah i mean somebody <laughs> does i'm sure i'm sure cerebro, well, anyway. cerebro starts beeping <laughs> he got his powers around puberty right <laughs> yeah. Do we have any last comments on this uh, on this issue or on the arc in general? I will say that I think that these books are worth reading if you were a fan of like the old Twilight Zone or any of those Saturday afternoon serial monster movie stuff. It's it's that cliche kind of like subset of science fiction slash horror. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I think people who like the old black and white monster movies would really like reading these books. It's that because to me it's that feel. It's that look, it's that feel, it's that sort of I don't know, writing and approach. I yeah, you do, you I, st do, I still maintain you, that these books don't become they don't become the voice of the voiceless until the 80s when Chris yeah. Claremont takes over. That yeah. stuff just yeah. does not yeah. exist before now. I I have to say that well yeah so you know giant size X Men 
um, those those books. Well, once that stuff happens, I think it definitely takes a huge turn, and it in, it gets people interested, and then into the '80s, it really does become the voice of the voiceless, and and of course we will continue loving these books, you know, up until up until today, even though we'll complain and gripe and bitch and moan about a whole bunch of stuff therein. Uh, <laughs> I remember as we were young and reading these books as they were coming out, we complained all the time about them. Um, but we didn't <laughs> stop reading them. <laughs> you know, we hated and loved Chris Claremont at the same time because yeah. he was yeah. such a great writer and he had these great story arcs. And then he had all of these plot holes that he would leave us hanging on. Like yeah. the guy had a 17 year career. I think uh, there's going to be some of that. <laughs> he wrote the X-Men so. books for 17 years or his just career was 17 years? No, the X-Books for his, 17 years. Oh, wow. His, his first run on the X-Men was 17 years. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So he, even though he didn't create the X-Men, he definitely he left his mark, man, for sure. He definitely the built the world. Yeah. yeah. He's the one that truly defined who the X-Men really are. There's yeah. some really good YouTube videos on uh, why he left Marvel and what was going on behind the scenes. Pretty oh, yeah. interesting. No, it's it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic story, and we'll talk about it. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about it. So, um, all right. Any final words? I liked I liked this this arc. I just thought the the first quarter of of this issue of issue twenty six was sloth, for lack of a better word. Sure enough, yeah. And I think probably three quarters of issue twenty five was fluff. Mm -hmm. So I, I really think that this arc could have been condensed into one solid action packed, really fun book. But nice. the the overall okay. story that it told is definitely worth reading. Huh. I agree with that. All right. Well, next episode, episode 16, we will read X-Men 27 and X-Men 28. But, uh, you know, if you guys are just waiting with bated breath to find out what happens to Kazar and the Plunderer, episode after that, we're going to go back to Daredevil number 14. And uh, every time we do, Rowan says, why are we reading this? How's it connected to the X-Men? Well, <laughs> Kazar's in it, Rowan, for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Kazar's the man. He well, he becomes he becomes the man anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a wrap, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and uh, you guys have a great night. Um.